What do they want to be called these days when they're not married? They don't want to be called by Rory. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about the Lion Sisters. The lions, like the lions on the Serengeti lions? Spelled with a Y. Where are we going for this one, Katie? This is in Wheaton, Maryland, which is kind of a suburb of Washington, D.C. Interesting. And where did you do your research? The book for this one was The Last Stone by Mark Bowden. And uh, was this a listener recommendation? It was. It was recommended by Leanne McVeigh. Well, thank you for the recommendation, Leanne. Thanks, Leanne. You guys sound so enthused. I'm enthused. I just... You know, I was trying to think about the name of the book, The Last Stone, you know. It's a good, it's a good name, you know. It's a, it's it doesn't a, tell you much, though. Yeah, like, that's the thing, is some names are really good for books. Some names are really bad. For me, I'm like, this one's there's like a right lot between. of stones in the world. So the last one is the, the last one you, you pick up. How do they know? It's the last one you didn't turn over. In a crime investigation. Aha, Okay. Why don't you go ahead and start us off with this one, Katie? On March 25th, 1975, in Wheaton, Maryland, 12-year-old Sheila Lyon took her 10-year-old sister, Kate, to the Wheaton Plaza Mall. It was their spring break from school, and the girls wanted to look at the Easter exhibits, then have lunch at a pizza restaurant. And what is an Easter exhibit? I find it hard to believe that you've never been to the mall during Easter. Is this like the the Easter Bunny? Take your picture with the Easter Bunny thing? Yes, there's just decorations. The Easter exhibit. Now, they are sure that's what they went down to see, or was this just what they said that they were going to go do? They were 10 and 12, so yes, this is uh, what they went to do. What less, are you implying they went to the I mall was thinking to do? Less nefarious. I was thinking more nefarious things, like they were going to skip the mall and go hang out behind the library where all the kids smoke cigarettes. They were 10 and 12, so no. They this definitely is... went to the mall to just look around. Okay. Sheila was a 7th grader at the local middle school, about to become a teenager in only five days. She was quieter and more of a homebody than Kate, who was outgoing and athletic. Both girls were honor roll students and about as well-behaved as any parents hope their kids to be. So the opposite of Rory as a child? They were close, but had recently begun spending even more time together. They left their home sometime between 11 a.m. and noon and walked to the plaza. Between 1 and 2, they were spotted by a man and their own brother, a police officer, eating at the restaurant and speaking to an unidentified man. Did the brother police officer go ask the random dude why he was talking to his sister at all or anything? No, he just saw them there. I mean, it's not... What the fuck? I don't know about all that. How old were these people's parents, these kids' parents? Like, this? Yeah, they got a 10 and a 12-year-old, and then they got Johnny Law. That's uh, a- so what, he's 19? Oh, so that's why he didn't go over there, because he's 19, he had no idea? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how old he I'm was. I'm telling but... you. Sometime between 2 and 3 p.m., the girls are spotted walking in the direction of their home, as they were told to be home by 4 o'clock. As 4 came and went, their mother began to grow concerned that the girls had yet to return home. By 7, police were called, and Sheila and Kate were reported missing. Did they start looking for her right away? For them right away? Pretty much, yeah. Their father, John Lyon, was a well-known radio host in Wheaton, which allowed him to immediately begin broadcasting what we today would call an Amber Alert. Police began canvassing the mall, and searches led by hundreds of police, National Guardsmen, and volunteers began. For months, finding Sheila and Kate was the focus of every Wheaton resident. 
Witnesses in the mall the day of the disappearance reported seeing the girls speaking to a well-dressed man holding a briefcase and a tape recorder. In the weeks leading up to the disappearance, a man had been spotted at two malls in neighboring towns fitting the description. According to reports, the man was approaching young girls and asking them to record an answering machine message. Police never publicly connected the three cases, but many believe that it was the same person, dubbed Tape Recorder Man. That's such a creepy name. Like, stay out of the mall or Tape Recorder Man might get you. Like, that's the most horrific urban legend name I could think of because any man could you see walking around in the mall in the 70s with a briefcase could be Tape Recorder Man. I bet there were a ton of them back then with hats on and shit. And a terrible twist. He just hits you over the head with a tape recorder. No, after you record the outgoing message, he plays it at your funeral gravesite. A young girl that knew the Lion sisters also reported to police that she saw a young man, somewhere in his 20s, with long hair and acne, staring at the sisters so intensely she decided to confront him. For whatever reason, police did not seem to think that this man was as good a suspect as Tape Recorder Man and did not distribute his composite sketches widely. Because he didn't have as cool of a name, right, to go with it? I think because she was the only one that saw him. I don't think Acne Boy is near as intimidating as Tape Recorder Man. Even scarier, actually. There's like 1,400 Acne Boys at the mall. That's why it's so scary. (laughs) Any one of them, he's one amongst the crowd. Yeah, Tape Recorder Man. Yeah, easy to spot. Acne boy, fuck. Everywhere. As with any missing persons case, false reports came in droves. One that was originally considered credible reported seeing two girls matching Sheila and Kate's descriptions bound and gagged in the back of a station wagon in Virginia. Police and the public attempted to locate the vehicle, but nothing was ever found. How far is Virginia from Maryland? Right next to it. John Lyon, their father, also received a phone call asking for $10,000 in exchange for the girls. The anonymous caller asked to meet in front of the local courthouse. John, being a smart man, left $101 in the meeting spot, the extra dollar making the extortion a felony. When the money was never picked up, the extortionist called again, but when John asked to speak to the girls, he hung up and never contacted the family again. So the dude never grabbed the $101? No, he said there was too many police around, which is kind of stupid, because if you meet in front of a courthouse, I don't know what you expect. Yeah, Yeah. I thought that would be the point, like, they'll never expect it here. I don't think he was real, I don't think he was in Wheaton, and I don't think he was going to actually ever go for the money, he just wanted. This was just a person, a lost soul person, that was taking advantage of a sad, desperate man. And he was dumb, because the way John, you know, left 101 to be smart about it, catch that felony, this guy should have got 9999 because that way he wouldn't have to report it to the IRS. He could go blow I don't think casino. I don't think John even believed that this was a real person. I think he was trying to get him caught for extortion. Period. I don't think he thought he was a kidnapper or anything. Right. If he did, he probably would have just given him the 10 Gs. Possibly. A week after the sister's disappearance, a young man named Lloyd Lee Welch walked into the mall and approached a security guard. Of Welch's jam and jelly Absolutely not. After telling him he had seen two girls matching Sheila and Kate's descriptions the day of their disappearance, the police were called and Lloyd was taken into complete a formal statement. Lloyd was well known to police. After dropping out of school in seventh grade, he became a drifter and a con artist. He committed small crimes here and there and spent the majority of his time drinking and doing drugs. 
He would eventually join a traveling circus, leaving a wake of fatherless children in his path. What was his act in the circus? I think he was just a carny. I think he just helped out. A carny. He was one of the... Uh, Hold on. Roustabouts. What? I think he was a roustabout. For real? Yeah. They're the guys that go in and set up all the tents and the equipment and stuff. I think in the list of professions that make you sound more important than you are, roustabout That's is up there. the most important position in, in, a a circus. Cir- in a traveling circus. Yeah, for sure. Which is kind of like being... Without, like, without a group of uh, unskilled laborers setting up tents and all those kitty rides, a traveling circus would never make it. I'm aware, but traveling circuses are not important. Oh, Okay. Once he arrived at the station to give his statement, he explained that he'd been at the mall that day applying for jobs with his wife, Helen. Whoa, he's got a girlfriend or a wife? Yes. And she was pregnant. Like for real? Or he's just telling the police. He's like, look at, there she is over there. And he's just pointing at a mannequin. No, this was for real, his wife. Okay. And he beat the shit out of her all the time. That explains a lot. He saw the girl speaking to a man with a tape recorder that fit the composite sketch that had been released. He watched the man lead the two girls out of the mall and place them in the back seat of a red Camaro before driving away. To ensure the statement given by Lloyd was accurate and true, he was given a lie detector test, which he failed. Police, now annoyed with yet another false lead, sent Lloyd on his way. Did they put too much credence in the lie detector in this case, you think? No, he was straight up lying. Like, oh. nothing he said was true. So, so is this is he just a pathological life or pathological liar, wife beater, drug dealing, drug doing, carny? Yes. But he was involved, but he was just telling so many lies there that the cops literally thought he was making it all up. Basically, they thought, I mean, when anything like this happens and there's so much, I mean, it's such a huge case around town. There's so many of these people that come forward and say they saw something just to have their name out there that people walk in all the time and do this and they're like, okay, whatever, you're lying. No big deal. It doesn't automatically mean that you were involved. You're just talking just to talk. Here's the thing. A guy like this gives carnival folk and carnival workers a bad name. They're not all drug-addicted weirdos that want to set up tents for children to come walk through. Just most of them. Just most of them. Searches continued for a while, but eventually died down, then came to a stop. For 38 years, John and Mary Lyon were left wondering the fate of their two little girls. As officers were promoted to detective, they were handed the Lyon sister file, only to leave it unsolved to be passed down to the next person in hopes they'd see something no one else had. In 2013, Sergeant Chris Homrock was going over the case file for the hundredth, if not thousandth, time in his career. Awesome name for a police officer. Homrock. I'm Sergeant Homrock, and I'm here to solve the case. Yeah, I like that. They make a great TV show. <laughs> yeah, because they'd have time to come up with a better catchphrase yeah, than that. Yeah, it'd be called uh, uh, Homrock. <laughs> Good, good job, Rory. And his partner would be uh, uh, Jordan Roll, and it'd be Ham, Hum Rock and Roll. I'm done. I'm sorry. For whatever reason, he had missed the written statement given by Lloyd Lee Welch 38 years earlier. For whatever reason. Well, sometimes it's hard to read files and files, especially if they've been handed down for 30 years from detective to detective. Well, Hum Rock they... rereads files. I mean, he, he, I'm sure he'd read it, but there was a big 
typeface at the very top that just said lied. So obviously you're not going <laughs> to yeah. give that much credence right, to I'm it. Go ahead and skip that. Yeah. <laughs> like, of all the words to put on top, they're like, lied. It's a huge lied stamp. <laughs> Past tense, lied. Oh, is this, did they put that on the top of the lie detector tests when you take them? Lied and told truth? No. Oh. Someone, I'm sure, just took the statement and then went, okay, well, I can't throw this away because it's part still of part of yeah. the, but he wrote lied at the top of it because he lied. Ah. Good job for that guy not throwing it away. Yeah. <laughs> you could it's technically evidence and technically that's if you threw it away no one would literally ever know and we would have no leads in this case this was like the biggest case to probably ever happen in wheaton and they were making absolutely no mistakes so anything and everything that got written down they kept it good call reading it again he realized that lloyd had described a man that matched the description of a potential suspect ray molesky Molesky was known for hanging around malls where tape recorder man had previously been reported and matched the description. He was also known for sexually assaulting young boys and girls, often finding victims who would accept his offers of drugs and alcohol in exchange for sex. Some reported that Molesky was part of a larger group that held parties where they would sexually assault minors. He had been convicted of murdering his wife and son and injuring another son in 1977 and died in prison in 2004. Other inmates, along with Molesky himself, claimed to have information about the Lyons sisters' case, but no evidence or confession was ever obtained. Some even said that Molesky murdered his wife and son to prevent them from telling anyone about his connection to the Lyons sisters. Sergeant Homrock believed that Lloyd Welch might be their key witness to Molesky abducting Sheila and Kate. So, this guy that died in prison, how did, do we know how he died? I think just old age. Do we know more like how the hell he fell through the cracks? It sounds like he was a prime suspect in this whole scenario. And all because some asshole wrote lied at the top of a piece of paper, we missed it. Well, I think no one put the two together. And by we, I mean seven detectives not at all associated with myself. I don't think the lying is what did it. I think the incredible witness, like, or the non-credible witness that was this terrible human being is what kind of tipped him over because sometimes lie detector tests get it wrong, obviously. And people put a lot of credence into that. But this time he could have been telling the truth and just been uncomfortable in his surroundings. But I don't think they connected those two guys after he killed his wife, right? Wife and son in 77. He was convicted in 77, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think anybody connected the two. The guy was known for hanging out around there, but maybe put him in like a light suspect pool, but easy to walk over that when you have light stamped on top of your forehead, you know? Are you confused? He didn't give any statement. Molesky didn't. I know. He's the guy that was at the mall. He was the one that was given description. I believe that the witness, uh, Welsh, was a unreliable witness because of his previous interactions with law enforcement and was uncomfortable but telling a true statement. And so it was easy to let that slip through the cracks because maybe Molesky only became known as a person of interest after he killed his wife and kid. And they looked into him. I mean, they interviewed him. They interviewed everyone that he had apparently confessed to and they searched for evidence in his house and they never found anything. So there wasn't anything they could do except for find a witness that could place him there and prove that he was actually the one lying about not having anything to do with it. Well, that's better than my theory, which is 
30 years later, this detective Homerock was sitting there and reading it. And he was like, Molesky, Molesky. That sounds like molesty. Detective Dave Davis would be the one to interview Lloyd, who wasn't hard to find. He was serving a 33-year sentence for sexually assaulting a 10-year-old child in 1997. Looking at Lloyd's rap sheet, he'd been charged with larceny, burglary, robbery, DUI, and the sexual assault on three different minors. Homrock and Davis assumed that Lloyd wouldn't be up for talking to the police, so they met with FBI agents at Quantico to form a plan before the first interview. Humrock and Davis sounds like a really good law firm. It does. Or a really good detective agency. Yeah, but that if you don't want to, you want to be more low profile if you're a detective agency. You gotta call yourself like duct cleaners of Tucson. No, like Dave Davis isn't <laughs> low key enough. <laughs> yeah, that's Dave. like the <laughs> my name's David Davis, but it, it's too when I said write it, it's just too confusing. <laughs> On October 16th, 2013, Detective Dave Davis walked in and sat down in front of Lloyd Welch. Although they attempted to surprise him, Lloyd immediately knew they were there about the Lyons sisters. Because of his name being so low profile. <laughs> they began the interview discussing what Lloyd was in prison for, and Davis was forced to listen as Lloyd explained that he didn't go, quote, unquote, all the way with the girl he molested. But in Delaware, you don't have to to be convicted of sexual assault. That's what he told him. So he. I didn't want to say word for word, but he said basically to sum it up: even if you stick a pinky or a thumb in there, it's still penetration in Delaware. Ugh, ugh, that's gross. See, here's the thing: Delaware's right. Delaware yeah. is right. Yeah, they got that one correct. Good job, Delaware. You idiot. Oh, this fucking sicko. And this was the 10-year-old he was in prison for was his soon-to-be stepdaughter. Of course it was. What a sick fuck. I hope Dave Davis really stuck it to him. Davis eventually moved on to Lloyd's statement and showed him a picture of Molesky. He said that he recognized the man as someone that used to give him rides around town. This is where things began to get extremely messy. Oh, now it's getting messy. Lloyd told Davis that he had never been inside the Wheaton Plaza that day. He'd seen Molesky putting the girls in his car while standing on the sidewalk near a park. He'd been on the phone with his wife, Helen, who told him to call police and report it. We know that's not true because he's not allowed within 300 feet of a park, right? Well, this he was, was like 20 at the time. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. This was, okay. This was pre, well, who knows. He said they'd come to him and taken his statement, but he'd never gone to the police station. Davis listened to this new story before pulling out Lloyd's 1975 statement and placing it in front of him. Along with it, he pulled out the sketch given by the girl who I mentioned earlier that had seen a young man staring intensely at the two girls inside the mall, so intensely she confronted him. Do we know what she said to him? Like, what the fuck are you looking at? She said, take a picture, it'll last longer. Hell yeah, a classic. That's a classic right there. That's probably, like, 70s new wave right there, like... Take a picture to last longer. Yeah, that's definitely, I can see that one coming out of the 70s or yeah. 60s. That sketch matched Lloyd perfectly. Detective Davis had his suspicions before the interview began, but Lloyd's mismatched stories now had him thinking Lloyd wasn't just a witness. Oh, like he was a perpetrator. Yes. He was in on the gig. One tactic often used in police interrogations is to offer a story in which the interviewee plays a lesser part in the crime just to get them talking and locked into a charge. 
Davis, through his interviews with Lloyd, would become a master in this tactic. He offered Lloyd a story. Maybe Lloyd had been one of Molesky's many victims. Because Molesky often gave his victims drugs and alcohol, things Lloyd was particularly fond of, he agreed to go into the mall and kidnap Sheila and Kate for him. In this scenario, Lloyd wouldn't be a killer or even a kidnapper, he'd simply be a victim of an extremely manipulative man who took advantage of Lloyd being poor and addicted to drugs. Lloyd denied every aspect of the offered story, saying Molesky only gave him a few rides before Lloyd was too creeped out by him to keep getting in his car. He explained that if anyone had asked him to get two little girls from inside a mall, he'd asked why they couldn't do it themselves. Not why are you kidnapping children, but why can't you kidnap the kids yourself? Wow. That's, if that's your main concern when someone asks you to kidnap a child, you, you, you are not a good person. I think that the only thing worse than why can't you do it yourself would be to say, what's in it for me? No, no, it'd be like, yeah, sure, would be the, oh, I guess the, that's the, the worst, worst answer, and then you go do it, but then it's what's in you, it for you me. Have a criminal mind sh- you have a criminal skull shape, I think, if you, if you think about that. <laughs> that way like Roy belongs in Quantico there's, there's probably like an extra lump or two up there you can feel it on their uh, personality lumps that's from falling getting dropped on their heads right no it's actually the way that the different pieces of your head fit together there's an extra uh, chunk of skull there that's sectioned off in most serial killers isn't that right Katie no <laughs> absolutely not this has been disproven long long ago yeah because my sister's not a serial killer do you believe in, like, the super why, where men are, like, super strong in criminals because they have an extra Y chromosome, too? Hell yeah. No, I've never, never heard, heard that. that. Strong no. That's another one. Man I just criminals. believe it because they're, uh, uh, actually, women are also fairly awful criminals, too. There's a bunch of them out there. They're just uh, the less looked at members of society for crimes that are unspeakable. Yeah, you just got to fucking put on your pretty face and get away with it. Yeah. The interview continued with Lloyd offering no new information. He continued to claim that he might have been in the mall that day, but he couldn't say for sure. Red flags were raised once again when Lloyd said he might have more information if Davis could either get him moved to a nicer prison or get him a deal that would ensure he wouldn't be convicted of anything if he did talk. He's been watching too many movies, I think. In prison? (laughs) They got they got movie night. 19, <laughs> yeah. I guess it's 2013 now, but 2013 they just show prison escape movies and Oz and stuff in prison. No, they show shit like uh, like the Olympics and NBC and Turner Classic Movies. Turner Classic Movies got movies, and I bet you it plays that movie with uh, Clint Eastwood, Escape from Alcatraz. There's that one. Then there's the Great Escape. There is the Great Escape. With, uh, but I thought that was about Nazis. Escaping Nazis. But it's the, same, it's the same idea when you're in prison. You feel like you're surrounded by Nazis because you are. Eventually, they were able to hash out a deal with the state attorney on the case. Lloyd's statements could not be used against him, and the immunity was based on the information being truthful, candid, and complete. What Lloyd didn't notice was the fifth line, This agreement does not grant you immunity for any crimes you may have committed against Sheila and Kate Lyon. Did Lloyd have the world's worst attorney? <laughs> he didn't have one. Oh, so he just can't read. He just didn't read it. He was like, oh, this is good. Oh and he forgot God. the truthful part, too, which was like what really got him. It just said immunity on top. He was like, sweet. Yeah, I'll dig it. What an, what an idiot. Like his one chance to get himself out of it. 
Fucking signed it away. He could have just stopped talking. This is one of, like, 20 interviews that he decided to do with these people. Like, he could have just shut up, and he decided to not do that, which is, like, your number one step when talking to the police. Yeah, or but prison to... is boring. <laughs> Finally, Lloyd gave his truthful statement. He had been in the mall that day with Helen applying for jobs. He spotted Molesky, who he recognized as being someone who had given him rides around town before, and Helen recognized him as well. Why'd Helen recognize him? Apparently, Molesky had dropped Lloyd off at her house before, and I guess she, like, looked out the window, and so Lloyd was like, hey, you remember when that guy dropped me off at your house? And she was like, oh, yeah, totally. Because this all actually happened, and it's totally truthful. Will you be Uh, his alibi? Molesky was in a suit, holding a briefcase and a tape recorder, and talking to Sheila and Kate. Because Lloyd recognized him, he stared at him for a long period of time, accounting for why the girl approached him and confronted him about staring at the girls. After putting in some more applications around the mall, he and Helen saw Molesky leading the girls to his car and eventually putting them in the back seat. He kept telling Helen that something just didn't feel right about seeing Molesky with the girls, but there was nothing he could do about it. Why was there nothing he could do about it? Couldn't he just call the police? The problem was this didn't actually happen. Oh. So, like, in his mind, I guess, in the story that he made up, he's trying to make himself look better because he was like, I didn't know if they were related and he was supposed to be taking the kids. Like, I couldn't just go up and accuse him. I could do about it because it was me. A week later, he still couldn't shake the feeling that something was wrong, so he went back to the mall to report what he'd seen to a security officer, but the police got involved. Because that's what the police do, right? Yeah. After that, he and Helen left town, and he never thought about it again until Davis had pulled him in for the interview. What What did he think was going to happen when he went in and started talking to security? You think they're just going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll take your statement and give it to... Dave Davis in yeah, 40 Paul, years. Paul Blart over there. I don't, I don't know. But he did. That's one thing that actually did happen, is he did go into the mall and tell a security officer that he'd seen something... And then he did get taken to the police station. As he should have. I think it was just like a weird trying to make himself feel better. I don't know. Or make himself look less suspicious, which obviously had the opposite effect. Indeed. Davis was, of course, curious why Lloyd had lied. What he learned was that Lloyd was very good at just pretending that he hadn't. He was able to carefully skirt around questions about his truthfulness by simply saying the memory had just come to him. This will be a common theme with every interview to come. Davis then asked why Lloyd didn't tell the police that he recognized Molesky when he'd gone to the police for the first time. Lloyd gave a sob story about how his father had abused him so he didn't trust men, and the male cops made him too nervous and rushed the story out of him. Was any of that true? No. I mean, his father did abuse him, yes, but they didn't rush any story out of him. We're not giving him any sympathy for being abused as a child here? No. Okay. He even said that he had absolutely no idea the Lion Girls were missing until the police told him at the station, basically an impossibility with how huge the case had been at the time. Like, well, I wasn't missing them. I knew where they were the whole time. (laughs) After taking a break for dinner, Davis and Homrock watched Lloyd as he sat alone in the interview room. He picked up the immunity agreement he'd signed and read it again. Or read it for the first time. (laughs) Whatever you want to call it. When he got to the part about the agreement not protecting him against crimes committed against Sheila and Kate, he exclaimed, oh no, they got me. (laughs) Oh no, they got me! Oh, what a piece of shit. Oh, fuck this (laughs) asshole. He's like, they got me! 
He just signed his life. He did it to himself. What a dumbass. Wow. Oh, no, they got me in the easiest way possible. They wrote it on the thing I just signed. They put it last, and I didn't read it. Oh, man, what a dumb I like shit. the fact that they were willing to take that gamble. That's that such, such a an gamble. Asshole. Yeah, that's such a gamble. Well, I mean, worst case scenario, he's like, uh, no, no. Yeah. scrolls that out, and they're like, we had to try. Yeah, we were going to give that one a shot. Good, good job. <laughs> Oh, man. I bet they felt so slick after he signed that. I mean, For they probably real. walked out of there like, I can't I can't believe that fucking worked. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was some side bets going on. Oh, on yeah. The they other side of the one took it back error. to the police station and slammed, slammed it out on the chief's desk. And we we're just like, we got it. And then uh, the <laughs> whole day. Four days yeah, off the whole yeah, precinct. Yeah. <laughs> we will see you next week. To only make matters worse, when Davis came back to finish the interview, he asked Lloyd what he thought Molesky did to the girls. Do you want of you guys want to read this? What does this guy sound like? An idiot. My opinion is that he killed him and raped him. He killed him and he probably burned him. I, I don't know. This might not sound terribly significant, but in most cases, when you're asked what your opinion is on once, on what someone did with two kidnapped children, you don't immediately think burned them. The only time you may have this thought is if you or someone you helped burned them. At this point, Davis and Homrock were pretty sure that Lloyd played a much bigger part in Sheila and Kate's abduction than he was willing to admit. And to keep things from getting confusing, as I'm going to be introducing a lot of names, we're going to finish this up next week. And if any part of this episode made you uncomfortable, I highly recommend that you skip part two because we are going to be discussing a whole lot of child sex abuse. Dang, I was hoping you were going to say CSA so I could say camel statues in America. Intergenerational. Yeah. Are we going to get down to why this dude's got the tape recorder? I'm a little caught up on the tape recorder. That was just someone that people Mm. saw in the mall. That's literally just his kink. That's it? We're not hearing about Um, it anymore? No, he was completely unrelated to anything. He just... What if it was... Was in a brief... In the mall, in a suit with a briefcase, and may may have had a tape recorder. Some people said he did. I'm thinking if he if he had a tape recorder and he was recording these little girls making messages, he was a pedophile murderer. You are probably correct. All right, guys, I think that's going to do it for us this week. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Four Corners Crimecast, on Instagram at Four Corners Crimecast, on Twitter at Four Corners Cast, and at Four Corners Crimecast.tumblr.com. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a episode list uh, to send us ideas for an episode you want to hear, which Katie said we got a few mm-hmm. coming your way stacking up or if you just want to get your free sticker by entering the code bingo bango at checkout in our merch store we'll ship it out to you 100% for free so stick around next week come back to hear about the mp3 man right that's who's next no it was cds cds all right all right guys talk to you next week see ya adios motherfuckers Donald Trump came along and saved us. That's what it was. I don't want Trump to be a hero.